So this morning, I want to talk about what it means to pray with faith. What does that mean? Every follower of Jesus knows that he calls us to pray. And we all know that he calls us to pray with faith. But what does that mean? Now, sometimes there are promises in God's word which pertain to exactly what we're praying about. I hope you all know that there's hundreds of promises in the Bible. And because Jesus paid for sin on the cross, and because you are trusting Jesus as your Savior and Lord and treasure, all of God's promises in the scriptures are true for you. Obviously, some are just to the Old Testament believers. You've got to read the context carefully. But every promise that's true for God's people today is true for you because Jesus paid for sin and because you're trusting him. It's amazing news. So sometimes there's a promise in God's word that directly touches on what we are praying about. And when that's the case, then we can be 100% confident with no doubts whatsoever, completely full of faith that God will do what he's promised. So for example, let's say that you're praying for wisdom for a decision. You can know for sure, according to James chapter one, verse five, that God will always give us wisdom when we ask him. And so in that case, praying with faith would mean praying with 100% confidence and no doubt that God will give me the wisdom that I need. Or let's say you're battling a temptation, difficult temptation, you know that God has promised in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that he will always provide a way of escape from every temptation we face. And so you can pray, Lord, give me a way of escape, and you can pray that with 100% confidence without any doubt at all that he will give you the way of escape. So when there are promises that pertain exactly to what we're praying for, praying with faith means praying with complete confidence and with no doubt. Now I should just, little pause here, There's many, 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 many times when we don't have that much faith, right? There's times when I pray about something that's clearly promised in the word and I'm struggling to believe it. And, And God loves us and he's merciful. And what should we do at those times when we are struggling with faith? We should say, Lord, help my faith. Strengthen my faith. Because he promises that when we ask for stronger faith, and when we soak our hearts in the scriptures, he will strengthen our faith. So don't let lack of faith hold you back. But the point I want to make is that when there's a promise that applies to what we're praying, we should always pray with 100% confidence, with no doubt, God will do what he's promised. Is that clear? Now, sometimes though, what we're praying for is not specifically dealt with by any promise in the Bible. Let's say you need a job and you're just driving home from a job interview and that job interview went so well. And I mean, the team you'd be working with, the work you'd be doing, the package that they're offering to you, everything about it is just perfect and you wanna pray and ask God to give you that job. But now there's no promise in God's word that says he will give you that job, right? You're all clear on that, right? There's no promise that says he will definitely give you that job. So in that case, what would it mean to pray with faith? What would it mean? Some people who love Jesus and love the Bible believe that in those situations, what it means to pray with faith is to believe with 100% confidence, stir up complete confidence and no doubt that he will give you that job. 
and that if you pray with complete confidence and no doubt that he will give you that job, then he will give you that job. Again, people who teach that love Jesus, love the Bible, but I'm not sure that's what the Bible teaches. In fact, I, I would guess maybe some of you are from a church background which teaches that. And so bear with me this morning, hear me out. I want to open up God's word and help you see why I don't think that's what the Bible's teaching. And then your job is to open up the Bible on your own and you do your own studying. But I want to share with you what I see in the scripture. So what I want to show you is why I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches about what it means to pray with faith in those situations. But first, before we go there, I want to show you why people believe that is what the Bible teaches. From Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. Very important scripture. Look at what Jesus says in these two verses. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So here Jesus gives an example of something that is clearly miraculous, commanding a mountain, mountain, be thrown into the sea. Clearly a miraculous situation here. And Jesus says that if we pray that with full confidence and with no doubting, it will happen. Now my question is, is Jesus in this passage really telling us that that's how we are always supposed to pray? Is that how all of us are always supposed to pray about everything? Some people say yes. He's telling us always to pray this way about everything. But one of the reasons I don't think that's what the Bible is teaching is because it doesn't fit what Paul experienced in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Let's turn there. I want to show you what happens in this situation. Very important passage about prayer, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Now here's some background to the passage. Paul had spent 18 months in Corinth, and he was preaching the good news of Jesus. God's created us, so we'd have the joy of knowing him. We've all rebelled against God, turned our backs, and walked away from him, and because of that, we deserve eternal punishment from God, but God loves us so much that he sent his own son, Jesus. Jesus was born fully God, fully man. He went to the cross, paid for our sins, rose from the dead, and now if you will trust Jesus, he will forgive you, he will change you, he will fill you with his love. Salvation, Paul preached it for 18 months and many in the city of Corinth came to faith in Christ and a church was planted. Then Paul had to leave, go do it some, same thing somewhere else, plant another church. But when Paul left, some false teachers crept into the church and started telling the people, Paul's not a real apostle. Paul's not preaching the true gospel. Paul's Jesus isn't the real Jesus. And so Paul was deeply concerned that the church at Corinth would be led away from the true Jesus into this false teaching, and so he wrote the letter of 2 Corinthians. And one of the points he's making in this letter is to help them understand, I am a true apostle. What I gave you was the true gospel. Don't turn away. And so he does this in a couple ways. In chapter three, he talks about you remember when you put your trust in the gospel, the Jesus I preached to you? Do you remember the powerful change that took place in your life? Oh, yes, we remember that. 
And in chapter 10, Paul lists all the ways that he suffered as an apostle, saying, listen, I was clearly not doing this for the comfort and for the money. Suffer, 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 suffer was Paul. And then Paul also mentions in chapter 12 how God gave him an amazing revelation of heaven. And that's what Paul's talking about then in this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. So God had given Paul an astonishing revelation of heaven. And because God loved Paul so much and didn't want Paul to become proud, Paul was a humble man, didn't want Paul to become proud, God gave uh, Paul what was called a thorn in the flesh. This thorn in the flesh was a gift from God to keep Paul humble. So let's pick up the story in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, and ask the question, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? What was it? Start with verse seven. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations of of heaven that God had given him, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, did you notice what Paul says about the thorn in the flesh here? First, in verse 7, he says its purpose was to keep Paul from becoming conceited over this revelation of, of heaven. So this was a gift to Paul from God to keep him humble. Also in verse 7, Paul says it was a messenger of Satan sent by Satan to harass Paul. So Satan's purpose in this thorn in the flesh was to harass Paul. God's purpose in allowing this thorn in the flesh was to keep Paul humble. Okay, so what was this thorn in the flesh? What exactly was it? Paul says it was a thorn in the flesh, and we can learn a lot from that, I think. Now, some people take that phrase, thorn in the flesh, And they point out that maybe six or seven times in the Old Testament, there's a phrase being a thorn in the side, okay? Different phrase, but it's thorn in the side. And that in that, in the Old Testament, when there's discussion about a thorn in the side, it has to do with people persecuting you. So some people conclude from that, that therefore this was Paul being persecuted by other people. My question about that though, is that Paul does not describe it as a thorn in the side. He describes it as a thorn in the flesh which makes you think about his body, some difficulty in his body. And so most of the commentators I looked at think that this is some kind of a physical illness. We don't know what it was, but some kind of a sickness that's going on here. And we know that Paul had an ongoing physical problem from Galatians chapter four, verses 13 through 15. Look at what Paul writes. You know, you Galatians know, it was because of a bodily ailment. Now, literally, that's because of 
a weakness of the flesh that I preached the gospel to you at first. So somehow, because of some physical problem, maybe Paul got delayed in Galatia because of his health, and so he was there and he might as, well, might as well preach the gospel, so he did and a church was planted, the church of Galatia, okay? So you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? So he's saying, why are you not turning away from the gospel? For I testified to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So when Paul was in, the, in Galatia, he had some kind of a physical difficulty going on, some kind of a physical problem. We aren't sure what it was, but it's clear that he did have some kind of an ongoing physical problem, and I think that's the most likely explanation for what Paul means by this thorn in the flesh. I think it was some kind of physical health problem. Now, how did Paul respond to this problem? It's very powerful, verse eight. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now think about that. On three different occasions, Paul pleaded with the Lord, begged the Lord, take this from me. Some of you have known what it means to be so burdened about something that you long for God to do, that you have pleaded with him, cried out to him, Father, do this. Some of you know how passionately and earnestly and plaintively we can pray, and that's what Paul was doing. He was pleading with God for this. So we don't know exactly what Paul prayed, but I try to think through what, 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 what might he have prayed. Maybe the first time, maybe, Jesus, this thorn in the flesh is, is so hard for me. It is such a struggle. Satan is harassing me. Please, Jesus, remove it from me. He's, he's pleading with the Lord. But Jesus didn't remove it at that time. Maybe the second time, Jesus, you've called us to be persistent in prayer, so I'm, I'm here again. I'm gonna keep persisting in this. You can see how hard this is for me. It's making me so weak. Please, Jesus, in your mercy, take this away from me. And Jesus didn't take it away from him. So a third time, Paul prayed, Jesus, I, I know you love me. I know your death has paid for all of my sins, so all of your blessings belong to me. Please, Jesus, would you remove this thorn in the flesh from me? Three separate times, Paul pleaded with God to have this thorn in the flesh removed. We know Paul longed, he longed to be set free from this. And how does Jesus answer him? Verse nine, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul concludes, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Jesus says to Paul, Paul, all you need is my grace. I'm not gonna remove the thorn in the flesh, but I'm gonna pour out upon you my grace. I'm gonna pour out such grace upon you that you are comforted, 
that you are strengthened, that you are established, that you are filled. And as people see you in that weak state, strong and peaceful and rejoicing, they're gonna see God is power. If God can cause someone suffering in that way to rejoice, God's powerful. And so Paul says, all right then, I want that. I'll most gladly rejoice in my weaknesses, hardships, calamities, because in those weaknesses, Christ's power is shining forth from me. That's how Jesus answers. And so what this shows us is a couple things. One way that Jesus shows his power is through healing people, right? Beautiful when we see God supernaturally healing someone. Power is displayed. That's one way he displays his power. But this time, in Paul's case, God was going to display his power through Paul's weakness. That is, Jesus was going to satisfy Paul so much that his peace and joy would display Christ's glory, power. Okay, so now what does this passage teach us about prayer then? It teaches us lots of things about prayer. I'm just going to pull out one though, because I think it helps us answer the question, what does it mean to pray with faith? Here's what this passage teaches on that question. There are times when Jesus does not give us what we ask for. And the reason is not our lack of faith. There are times when you labor in prayer for something and Jesus does not give us what we ask for. Right, we see that here. Did Jesus give Paul what he asked for? Okay, church, we've got to be really clear on this point. Or it's not going to make any sense. Did Jesus give Paul what Paul was asking for when he prayed three times? No, he did not. He clearly did not. He did not remove his thorn in the flesh. And was the reason because Paul lacked faith? No. Jesus tells him the reason. It has nothing to do with his lack of faith. He, he did not lack faith. The reason was because He's going to give Paul more joy in him with this weakness than he would have had without it. Amazing. So this passage teaches us, such a crucial lesson for us to learn, that there are times when Jesus does not answer our prayers and the reason is not because of our lack of faith. Now, I would guess that some of you have had things in years past where you've labored in prayer for something you've longed for and God did not do it and you've been left with the lingering guilt that maybe the problem was your lack of faith because you've been taught that somehow. And I want to tell you just as clearly as I can as one of your elders here, there are times when Jesus, with a smile on his face and maybe tears in his eyes, does not give us what we ask for and it's not because of your lack of faith. It's because he has something better he's going to be doing for you. That's our Jesus. Do you understand that? We will all have times when heartbreaking things we've labored in prayer for have not been answered. And Jesus wants to say to you, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm gonna so comfort you, so fill you, so strengthen you. My glory is gonna shine and you are gonna be full of joy because to have my glory shine will fill you so much. This will be better for you than if I had done what you'd asked for. And we say, all the more gladly then, I'm gonna boast in my weaknesses. Okay, so I just hope that there's just a, a clearing away of any false guilt thinking that the reason something didn't happen was because of your lack of faith, okay? 
So there are times when Jesus does not give us what we ask for, and the reason is not lack of faith. Now, if that's true, then what was Jesus saying back in Mark chapter 11? Let's look back there. You should be asking that question. Pastor Steve, wait a minute. Didn't you read Mark 11 earlier? Yes, I did. Let's read that again. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, how does Jesus' teaching here fit with Paul's thorn in the flesh? In that case, Paul prayed and did not receive what he'd asked for, not because of unbelief, but because God had something better. So what is Jesus saying about this mountain-moving faith? I don't think he's saying that mountain-moving faith is something all believers are to have all the time whenever we pray. I don't think that's what he's teaching here. because That doesn't fit 2 Corinthians 12. I think mountain-moving faith is a spiritual gift that God gives to some believers some of the time. It's not a requirement that God puts upon all believers all the time. Let me explain. There's a spiritual gift of faith. Most of you know about that. In case you don't, look at 1 Corinthians 12, 8, and 9. The spiritual gift of faith is different than saving faith. Okay? Saving faith, we trust Jesus to forgive us. We trust him to change us. We trust everything that he's promised in the word. We trust him to satisfy us, to guide us, to provide for us. We trust Jesus, that's saving faith. We are all called to have that faith all the time. We trust his promises. The spiritual gift of faith is different, and it's described here in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. Look at what Paul writes. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, supernatural knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. So there is a gift of faith that Paul describes here, which is given to some believers some of the time. So what is this spiritual gift of faith? This is where God gives you supernatural confidence of something amazing that he's going to do. So you, you know God's going to do this. How do you know? I don't know. I just know. Many of you have experienced that. That is the gift of faith. The gift of faith is not you trying to stir yourself up. I've got to believe this. I've got to be positive. I've got to be confident. I have no doubts in my mind. I've got to know this is going to happen. That's not the spiritual gift of faith. The spiritual gift of faith is where God suddenly gives you an absolute confidence that God is going to work in some specific way. And then as you pray that, he will do it. Here's an example. Hudson Taylor, one of my heroes, one of the first missionaries to inland China, 1800s. But in his early teenage years, he was quite the rebel. And we know that his parents were laboring in prayer for him to, to be saved uh, because of what he wrote about what his, how his parents had done that. Now, amazing story. His mother one day traveled about 70 kilometers away to visit a friend for a couple of weeks. 
and she was having lunch with that friend, and as soon as they finished lunch, all of a sudden, Hudson Taylor's mother knew that she should go upstairs and, and, and labor in prayer. She, just, she was just longing for Hudson's conversion, and so she asked her friend, if, could I be excused for the afternoon? So she went up to the room she was staying in, closed the door, and for a couple of hours, labored in prayer for Hudson's conversion. But what happened as she was praying over these hours, God did something very powerful. He, he gave her a gift of faith. And at one point, she all of a sudden, she's laboring, laboring, and it's like, she knew. God has saved him. God has saved him. Here's what she says. Here's, what, here's how Hudson Taylor described what she experienced. He says about his mother, hour after hour, that dear mother pleaded until at length she could pray no longer, but could only praise God because she knew that God had saved her son. As she prayed, God gave her the gift of faith. She knew that God had saved her son. She wasn't trying to be positive, God's gonna save him. She knew, it's like, boom, he saved him. She knew, she stopped praying and started praising. She knew, again, Understand the difference. This is not Hudson Taylor's mother trying to be positive, trying to remove all doubts from her mind, trying to believe it, believe it, believe it. It's not what the Bible teaches us to do. This is the Holy Spirit coming upon her and I've saved him. I've saved him. So what ended up happening? She stayed with her friend for the time she had planned and then she went back home and as she walked up to the front door, Hudson Taylor opened the door and says, let me tell you what happened. What happened, son? Uh, back this date, the exact date that she prayed on, that afternoon, mom, I was bored walking around the house. I went into dad's study, found a little gospel tract. I was so bored I read it. And, I, and, and God changed my heart as I read this gospel tract. He gave me faith. He saved me. He filled me. I'm a new person now. And they had an amazing celebration, you can imagine. But do you see how the gift of faith works? There are times when we are laboring in prayer for something and God will give us a supernatural confidence. I'm doing that. I have done that. I will do this. And as we respond to that and pray, he will always do it. Now that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9, the gift of faith. But why would I think that's what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 11? Why would I think that's what Mark 11 is about? It's because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 and 2. In these verses, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts of tongues, prophecy, supernatural knowledge, and the gift of faith. Look at what he says, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2. I'll wait for that to come. There it is. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, remember that? But have not love, I am nothing. Paul says the gift of faith involves things like moving mountains. Where did Paul get that? From Jesus, Mark 11. 
Jesus taught that faith moves mountains. So put Mark 11, 23 through 24 next to 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2 and compare them. Mark 11. Julie, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and so forth. And in the bottom part of 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2, if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. It looks like Paul understands Mark 11, 23 and 24 as describing the spiritual gift of faith. That's how Paul takes it. It's not a faith we are all supposed to try to have all the time. It's a spiritual gift that God will give some of us as we're praying some of the time. So Mark 11 isn't saying that if, you're, if you want that job, you just had that job interview and you really want the job, you should try to believe hard enough that God will give you that. On what possible basis would you, would you think that? You know that there's times where God does not answer our prayers and it's not because of our unbelief, right? Thorn in the flesh passage. Remember also, in Romans 8, Paul says, um, there's times where we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit helps us to pray. There's times where we aren't sure how to pray. That's just the, the, the role that we're in as Christians. And so Mark 11, 23 to 24, can't be a command of what our faith should be for all people every time we, we pray. So I believe that Mark 11 is talking about a spiritual gift that God gives to some believers some of the time. Now, what does this mean then for praying with faith? I think there's three different answers to what praying with faith means in the Bible. And I hope this will help clear up some questions for some of you because we want to be a church that's praying. We want to be a church that's praying with faith. Faith is so important when we pray. But what does it mean? Three different answers. First, if there's a promise in the Bible that fits our situation, then when we pray, we should fully believe God will fulfill that promise, right? Because it's in the book. If he's promised it, he's going to do it. You have every reason to be 100% confident that he's gonna do what he's promised. Does that make sense? And so if your situation fits a promise in God's word, then pray for God to do that promise with complete confidence, no doubting that God will do it. Now again, quiz time to review. What about those many, many times where our faith is struggling? What should we do? Should we say, oh, I'll try to pray tomorrow. I don't have any faith today. Don't do that. Say Mark chapter nine, verse 24. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Strengthen me, strengthen me. He will always answer that prayer. As you open up the scriptures, pray over his promises, ask him to strengthen your faith, he will strengthen your faith. So one way that faith works in prayer is when there's a promise that fits our situation, then to pray with full faith means believing 100% certain without any doubt that he will fulfill his promise. What if there's no promise that applies to your situation? Well, if there's not a promise in God's word, then when we pray, we should fully believe that God will either give us exactly what we're asking for or something that will give us even more joy in him. And I take that from Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Read that passage through, ask and it shall be given to you. Um, if, if, if the son asks the father for bread, he's not gonna give him a stone. 
So we should always fully believe that God is either going to give us exactly what we're asking for or something even better, which means more joy in him. That's what happened with Paul's thorn in the flesh, right? He prayed three times earnestly and God said no to what he was asking because he had something better for Paul, something that would give Paul even more joy in Christ than having the thorn in the flesh removed. Third, sometimes as we're praying, God will give you the supernatural gift of faith. He can do that for any of us at any time we're praying this coming week. So that you, all of a sudden, you, you know what God is going to do. You know what God has already done, possibly, in your prayer. You know. Just the supernatural clarity. Amazing. Like Hudson Taylor's mother. And, as we, and then we should fully believe what he's caused us to believe he would do. And we pray for that, and he will always do it. So three different ways we pray with faith. When there is a promise, when there isn't a promise, and when he gives us the spiritual gift of faith. Now, Grace Church, here's why this is so important. We're living in Abu Dhabi. As Earl prayed earlier, massive spiritual needs here. Thousands and thousands of people are, apart from Christ, are walking in darkness this morning, Friday morning. Thousands and thousands of them. And to see happen in Abu Dhabi what God wants to do here is going to mean prayer, laboring in prayer. And I want to call us to pray with faith because it's crucial that we pray with faith. So open up God's word, pray promises like, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. All authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. We know from the book of Revelation that God is going to save people from every nation and tongue and tribe, including all the different nations, tongues, and tribes that are living here in Abu Dhabi. God is going to save people. So we need to labor in prayer with faith. Don't pull back from prayer. Don't be blind to what's happening in this city. Don't Harden your heart against the needs that are here. Let the Lord soften your heart so we weep over Abu Dhabi and we say, God, pour out your saving power here. Come and work in a mighty way. Save the lost. Raise up more churches. Strengthen your people. Give us boldness to preach the gospel. I want to call us at the end of this series on prayer to make prayer a significant priority in our lives. To labor in prayer with faith for God to do in the globe, all the things that he's promised. Habakkuk chapter two, verse 14. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The gospel will be preached to every nation, tongue, and tribe. Matthew 24, 14, promise. Let's pray, let's pray, let's pray with faith and see what God does. Let's stand together. God, I pray that you would touch each of our hearts right now with what we need to grow in in, in terms of praying with faith. Some of us maybe have never asked for the spiritual gift of faith. Lord, we ask that you would pour out that spiritual gift of faith upon us more broadly, more powerfully. Do that, Lord, we pray. 
Some of us have, have never been able to really pray a promise with full confidence and no doubt, Lord, strengthen our faith. We are weak, you know that, but Lord, strengthen us. Strengthen our faith in your promises. And God, strengthen our faith that when we pray and there's no promise that applies, we can always be confident that you are either going to do exactly what we're asking or you're gonna do something that's gonna bring us even more joy in you. And so help us to be full of faith in that. But Lord, I pray that you would strengthen Grace Church, strengthen us in faith as we pray. And I ask this in Jesus' name.